This is Too Much Grit to Quit. Sports personalities Shelly Till and Dave O'Hara bring you non-sugar-coated stories of the famous, not-so-famous, and everyday hometown heroes who have overcome adversity and incredible challenges to achieve success. Too Much Grit to Quit. Discover the key to unlock the chains that keep you from achieving your dreams. Please subscribe, like, share, and download today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back into Too Much Grit to Quit. I am Shelly Till alongside Dave O'Hara, my friend and co-host. And once again, we are knocking it out of the park this week, Dave. We have an amazing, amazing guest. He's going to join us in our second and third segment, Sam Coonert. He is the founder of Nubability Athletics. You've probably seen the viral video of uh, he had a young man at one of his camps who had no arms doing box jumps. And I can tell you as an athlete, and tr- when I had to train for competitions, doing box jumps with arms is challenging enough. And Sam has devoted his life to overcoming any limitations that anyone else is trying to put on him or the young men and women that he has the opportunity to bring into his organization. Yeah, the whole, just everything about Sam, the people he works with, the athletes, male, female, young, old, it is just fascinating that the limitations you and I have talked about in past shows are these seemingly societal or limitations someone will put on you or coaches or whomever it is. Um, it's it's just fascinating that that people like Sam, I've read comments and I've had the pleasure of talking to Sam off the air. It, 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 it almost, it not almost, it fuels their fire. And, and to almost where you have to wonder sometimes, Shelly, if they were fully, you know, had two limbs or, or four limbs, le- arms and legs, would they be as good as they are? And I, and I pondered that to Sam one time and he goes, you know, it really makes me wonder. I don't know. And he just kind of laughed. So you and I have talked about this. There are so many limitations that, and you know what, Shelly, and you and I have talked about this and I, and I got to bring this up to you, especially it's not necessarily that people put limitations on us. It's that people accept the limitations that are put on it. Some people accept those limitations, and that's the real crime here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, um, you know, I, I look at my background as an athlete and then in coaching and then having two children who are athletes at the collegiate level. And, you know, I've seen and heard it all. And I've had the opportunity to be coached by coaches who – breathed life into me who actually you know made me feel like I could do more than I even thought I could and I've had the flip side of it too coaches who want to put limitations on you fans who want to you know tell you how bad you suck (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you know and you really have to develop a thick skin and you've got to have people in your corner that believe in you enough to overcome and and to really drown out those negative voices and boy, uh, you know, I've seen it with my own kids. And and I mentioned uh, my daughter, Claire, a few times, people that know her story, she's had five knee surgeries, she's got more metal in her knees than, you know, anybody should have. And the limitations that were put on her because of that, or tried to, you know, be put on her, the labels that were put on her. And I think that those kinds of things, like you said, some people can, can accept that. And it, stifles who they are and and what they can accomplish other people use it as fuel mm-hmm. for the fire and the and motivation to say oh no 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 you're not going to tell me who I am or who I'm not and uh you know I know that I was able to do that I, my 
kids were able to do that. Claire was able to do that to the point where physically she was, you know, able to push herself to the limits. But this guy, wow, Sam Cooner. I mean, he was born uh, with, um, I believe it was his left hand. Yes. uh, A limb difference. His his hand wasn't fully developed. And just literally from the get-go was told, you can't, you can't, you can't. And yet he continued to overcome and prove to people that, yes, I can. And he is just a, a walking example billboard. And now he's bringing other kids into the mix that he felt one day, you know, when he was younger. Am I the sure. only person that's like this? Well, and that's why I and I mentioned to you off the air, and I said this to Sam earlier this afternoon when I talked to him before the show. And, and I just, I, I really am intrigued and, and find it fascinating that, What's almost identical, Shaquem Griffin, the uh, linebacker for the uh, Seattle Seahawks in the NFL. But, you know, you look at a left, it was a a, um, not fully formed left hand and his parents had it removed. Shaquem Griffin's did. His uh, twin brother is in the NFL a year ahead of him. They went to University of Central Florida together. They're twins. Uh, But uh, Shaquille Griffin uh, finished college a year earlier, didn't redshirt like Shaquem did. But Shelly, every time a Shaquem Griffin, or I'll I'll get a hyper-local here in the Midwest, uh, Former Miss Iowa um, Nicole Kelly, same thing. Uh, had had a deformed uh, hand, and, and also then you look at a, a gal locally that I know in Southeast Iowa, and she's a, was a high school athlete, and Allie Schmidt. Those stories, and, and that's what I love, Shelley, is now with, with viral. You mentioned the box jump, the young man that that did the box jump, and there's another young man that Sam has on social media, all over social media, viral, a, a young cancer, a young male cancer sufferer that Sam shaved his head for. And we're going to find out Sam's story where he had a, a, not really a cancer per se, but a sickness like a cancer, and he survived. So, Shelley, that's the thing that is just, I'm so ecstatic when people want to bemoan social media. This is one prime example where social media and things going viral. This is the when you pointed this out to me a couple months ago and you texted me and said, you know, you got to check this out. And I saw all about Sam and Nubability and the organization. And Shelly, this is one time of all those naysayers want to talk about social media in a bad way. One time this was fantastically good. Oh, it's it's incredible. And you, you have to check out. Uh, Nubability Athletics. They're on Instagram. He's got all kinds of videos posted there. I know they're also on so- on uh, Twitter. You have a YouTube channel, but just absolutely incredible. And and it was uh, a great lesson as I was doing research for this particular interview. Um, didn't realize, but one in two thousand kids are born yeah. with a limb difference. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That really is a lot more than you, a lot more than I thought when I came upon that as well in the pre-show research. Yes, that that. And Sam had mentioned that in one of our conversations too, where he said he gave me a number similar to that, and it's just, I, I think you'd agree, far more than we thought, right? Absolutely, and you know, and I, I think for him being uh i think he's 26 years old now yes you know so 26 years ago 20 years ago 15 years ago when he was growing up uh that you know that is his norm and thankfully he had a strong faith and parents who supported him and did not allow him to use that as an excuse Mm -hmm. and but still you have to go out and you have to live in society and he grew up in a small town in southern illinois and so he was bullied so not only did he have a a physical challenge, but he was now being emotionally and mentally challenged as a very young boy. And it was tough for him. And he'll talk about that uh, when, when we um, talk with him in a, in a couple segments here, but 
just the fact that his he has taken all of that adversity, all of those challenges, all of those naysayers, all of those people that tried to tell him who he was or what he couldn't do, and he has used every single opportunity to show people that they don't need to quit when obstacles get in their way. And, I mean, if we had a poster person for this podcast, it would be Sam Cooner. Too much grit to quit is the podcast. And again, as Shelly had mentioned, and we'll mention throughout this podcast and previous podcasts and future podcasts, please uh, remember to uh, like us, subscribe, rate, review us, share us, share our podcasts and our stories with anybody. And, and we love you listening. Um, main important thing too, one word I want to not leave out, feedback. Please give us your feedback. Shelly you know, and I talk about motivation. That really motivates us. We like all the comments you give us. Um, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. We like the suggestions of guests you've put at us. We love hearing from you in any way, shape, or form. As I mentioned, either like, share, rate, review, subscribe, download us, upload us, <laughs> do everything. But, but please continue the feedback because that's one thing Shelly and I talk about off the air as well as we really do appreciate your candor and your feedback. So for Shelly Till, I'm Dave O'Hara. This is Too Much Grit to Quit. On the other side of this break, we will have Sam Coonert with Nubability, and it's nubability.org and also via Twitter at Nubbleability or Instagram, and then at Sam Coonert is the man with the plan. So back with more in just a few moments. Welcome back. This is Too Much Grit to Quit. I am Shelly Till, along with my co-host and friend Dave O'Hara. And before we get to our amazing guest, we want to remind you, if you'll take a moment to make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast, that you rate and review. Write us a review. We want to hear what you think, what you like. Um, if you've got suggestions, that type of thing, uh, of course, ratings, rankings, reviews all help other people to know that we are here. So we appreciate you taking the time to do so. But let's get to it. We have so much information and so many amazing stories to cover with our guests. And as we talked about in the open, we are blessed to have our guest. Sam Coonert is the founder of Nubability Athletics, which is a nonprofit organization that instructs, inspires, and encourages congenital and traumatic amputee youth athletes to compete in mainstream sports. Sam and Nubability Athletics is located in Southern Illinois. However, they uh, work with athletes all over the place, as we'll let Sam talk about. But also wanted to mention Sam's personal mission or mantra is to use every opportunity to show people that they don't need to quit when obstacles get in their way. That might be the best introduction we've ever had. Sam, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Shelly and Dave. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, and Sam, you know, it's very interesting that we were talking off the air a little bit, and another great tagline I'd like to put to you, which is, you know, we were talking about limitations, or I said working with kids that you do at these camps, and, and I said, you know, you don't let limits get in the way, and, and your response to that was what again? The only limits are the ones you place upon yourself, and I refuse to place any on myself, so I live limitless obvious and well stated and again as uh, to Shelly's point uh, if you want to check it out online as well uh, nubability.org is a great website and I told Sam this off the air today Shelly uh, how well it is put together and um, you know Shelly and I were talking before we had gotten to this point to interview you Sam and everything is just and I know you you, you made the joke with me and you said well thank you um, I hired the person that did that I can take credit for that but <laughs> but your your Twitter account too is linked to everything and it's at Sam Coonert 
S-A-M and then K-U-H-N-E-R-T. So uh, I'll tell you, Sam, again, uh, like Shelly just said, we, we were really pleased that you're able to join us today and look forward to talking with you. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys taking some time to let me share my story and hopefully we can change some lives with it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a tremendous story and we found out about it um, probably the way a lot of people did fairly recently when one of your videos went viral. I believe uh, the the young athlete's name was Tim. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Tim Bannon. Yeah. And uh, if, if y'all haven't seen this yet, you need to go Google it, look it up. Tim was a, a young man who has no arms and was being encouraged to do a box jump. And that box looked pretty high, mind you. And uh, he, you know, he, he attempted it a couple times, couldn't get it. You could see the frustration, but through the encouragement of your coaches, uh, he was able to do it. And what really got me was the hug afterwards. And he was so emotional. And I just looked at that video and I thought, what? first of all, I was like, I feel like a complete idiot forever complaining or thinking I couldn't do something. And here's this young man overcoming tremendous odds to accomplish something uh, that he was failing at a couple times. And he kept at it. And it was emotional. And I'm like, what, what is this? I have to find out what this is. And I immediately went and looked to, looked up Nobility, found you. And I called, I emailed Dave or texted you, I think, Dave. And yeah, I said, you, you texted me. Yeah. On the show. yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know, what's crazy about that moment is it's probably one of hundreds, if not thousands of moments that take place at our camp. And for him to use Tim to uh, catalyst Nubability forward was absolutely amazing because he's been with us for three or four years, maybe even longer. I, you know, I, I've had so many kids come through this program that <laughs> it's hard to remember. Uh, but I actually gotten to like experience them all grow up through Nubability, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, but, you know, the, the prime focus of my coaches, whenever kids come in, uh, the very first thing we do is we put what people fear in the in that sport as their first task so their first drill deals with something to do with fear for instance like in baseball um the fear in baseball is being hit by a baseball right mm -hmm. and so what, what we do is you know these kids are throwing and they're having to transfer their glove back onto their hand to feel the ball so what i do is i take them to a bounce back net and i start them about 90 feet away from the bounce back net after they've gotten loose and warmed up and they throw as hard as they can get their glove back on field it with every throw, you know, they're moving in a line. But with every throw, after the uh, last person or after the first person uh, gets back up for a second time, they move forward another five feet until I get these kids within 10 feet of the net. Because if you take away that mentality of the fear already, you take it away and you just push forward with them, you know, you're breeding success because – you know, fear of failure is something you can never be afraid of. You know, failure is something that you're going to have throughout your life that you have trials and tribulations, but those aren't trials and tribulations to hinder you. They're trials and tribulations to make you grow. And so you have to look at every failure as an opportunity to grow and get better. And that's what we do with our kids. So we, we make them go, even if they're failing, even if they're not fielding it right away, they keep going until they field it. And it is that ball hits their body and they feel the pain of the baseball. Because then let's face it, if you play sports, you're going to get hit. It doesn't matter what sport you play, you're going to get hit. Yep. So we'd like to take that failure away. And Tim, you know, for the very, the very first day, he was afraid of that box jump. And our coaches really, you know, they pushed him on that box jump throughout the camp and they got him to do it. And then that, that, that video was actually taken in the last probably five minutes 
of the um, of the very last session. Tim had already done the box jump once, but you know, whenever you don't have arms and you're facing a box jump, you know, you think when people with both arms they they propel their arms forward to push the force up up from the ground into the jump and to balance themselves once they hit the box. For Tim, he doesn't have that, so once he goes, he's essentially risking injury with every jump. I mean, any of us who have done box jumps have gotten hurt on him at least once. And this kid, this kid doesn't have arms to catch himself, so he's going to face plan if he does anything. And, you know, to watch that courage build up and the, my coaches, you know, I was so proud of my coaching staff, Brad Vineyard, um, Sabrina Reiswig, Julian Roach, and all, all of those uh, guys, Nick Provenzano, Tim Cheatham, my entire strength and conditioning crew, watching them push him. Not not coddle him because, you know, in my opinion, I, I, I think I told you this before, Dave. I don't believe in participation trophies. I don't believe in the coddling nature. I yeah, you did. Pushed. Mm-hmm. And to watch them push him and him overcome the fear was amazing. I got to ask you, too, and, you know, we, we Shelly and I have talked so much off the air, Sam, and you and I have, too, and you're exactly right when you mentioned that to me about the participation uh, awards that are uh, given out and not pushing kids to their level, to their limits, um, and not knowing what those limits are. As you said, limitless. You also get beyond active and involved with a lot of your campers or the kids that you um, come in contact with, and I'd like you to tell a story about a, a young man who's suffering from bone cancer and sarcoma. And uh, I see a couple pictures where you get a nice head of hair. And then I see a couple other pictures where it's uh, your lettuce is a little tight, as they say, uh, Sam. It's <laughs> a little short to the top. So I joke with you a little bit about that, but a very serious uh, condition. Uh, and just would uh, like you to share uh, how involved and in, in the story about this young man that you're about to tell us about, please. Absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm, I know you're speaking of Will Walker. He's mm-hmm. my little buddy. Uh, Will's from the Kansas City, Missouri area. He came to camp for the first time last year, and he had recently had an amputation due to sarcoma, where they amputated just uh, they had they had a little bit of a flap below his shoulder, not a bunch, but a little bit enough where he could grip a glove under there if he held tight enough so he could throw. And Will wanted to pitch, and he wanted to play shortstop. Well, whenever I first meet Will, he comes into one of our elite sessions, which is like one-on-one sessions, and he he's playing catch with his little brother, Eli, and he goes to throw the ball. And when he, uh, after he throws it, he put his glove up on top of his head. And I was like, Oh no, this is bad. You know, like mm-hmm. this, this kid is going to get hit. This kid's going to get hurt. I said, I can't have that. And this is before I even knew that Will had lost his arm to sarcoma. And, you know, I'm just watching this. I'm like, okay, here's, we got to adjust this real quick. And so I get him working on a transfer and really get him, um, doing a bunch of repetitiveness with this transfer and he picks it up like nothing. And now to this day, he uses this transfer um, so smooth and so fast. But anyways, will throughout the, throughout the camp is getting progressively better to the point where, like I said, whenever we did that bounce back net, he was fielding the ball with this new transfer from 10 feet away, throwing as hard as he could. Wow. And, and I mean, to see the resilience in him and to see the love of the game that, um, you know, I, I knew because, you know, I absolutely love the game of baseball. It's, it was my passion growing up. But to see that love in the game back in his eyes and to see him realize that he could do it, you know, that was huge. And so then on, on that Sunday of camp, which is the final day, we're wrapping up and I'm talking to his mom, you know, about to tell him 
um, tell her what all Will can do to get better, you know, how, how proud I was of him and everything. And she kind of had tears in her eyes and she said, um, Sam, will you please pray for my boy? And I said, absolutely. What's up? And she told me, well, Will's cancer is back and it's in his lungs. Hmm. Got this call just right before camp. And, you know, my heart sank. I had to walk away, honestly, um, for a second there. I had to walk. I found my dad, um, you know, because that's my, my parents were my strength and <clears throat> um, along with my relationship with Christ. And I just kind of went to my dad, you know, and he's like, he's like, you know, I just kind of, he's like, there, you know, there's bigger things than this camp happening here. And I said, you're absolutely right. And we actually had a motivational speaker uh, at camp that day who was a mentor of mine named John O'Leary. And uh, John was speaking. I told John about the situation. He said, you know, handle it however you want. And so I, I went up there and, you know, I asked my camp to pray for him. And uh, when we did that, the entire camp came forward and placed hands on him. Whether they believed in God or not, they came and placed hands on him. Well, that's powerful. Which mm-hmm. Absolutely powerful and amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, I grew really close to Will and I really got to thinking, you know, what more can I do for this kid? I. I saw the struggles and of chemo that he was dealing with throughout the year. And, you know, I was like, so, you know what? I saw the spirit like diminishing and I'm like, no, you know, you have to fight. You have to have that grit. You know, you can't quit now. You have to get that grit back. And so I was determined to really provide him a day that uh, restored that joy. So I contacted Jim Abbott and asked Jim to send him a video. I, uh, I linked up with his favorite team, the Kansas City Royals, and told them the stories, talked to anybody from the front of the office to main office to eventually Dan Glass, the owner, um, giving us box seats to that game. And Will got a whole swag bag from the Royals, um, you know, just royalty treatment. Um, and then I took him to Top Golf and we, or I took him to Top Golf before the game and <laughs> played and all of this was a surprise. Will had no idea. So I drove um, about four and a half hours, surprised him at lunch and then surprised him with this whole day. And his mom had packed him uh, his Kansas City Royal stuff in a bag without him knowing. And so it was it was really cool because I saw that joy. And at the end, he said, I'm ready to fight. And that's when I knew I, I'd done something right. And so throughout the year, you know, I've seen that his the chemo has come back, you know, he's had struggles. He's been trying to get into these trials. He finally got into one. Thank the Lord. Um, but before that, you know, I didn't know what else I could do to support him. You know, I still wanted to know what more could I do. And, uh, so I, you know, I was like, you know, I want to show support throughout my social media to show, see if we can get more people to really help his family. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why I shaved my head to show support of him and, uh, shaved all my hair off. And, you know, I, was just really talking to his mom and everything. And, you know, the, uh, the support came, you know, it came with words and prayer and everything like that, which is huge, but the financial support and stuff wasn't there, um, to where I wanted. And so I actually, um, my hair is coming back because I, I, I subbed out something else. And so now Will's going to be able to afford a trial and um, oh, great. I'm really excited, really excited for him. He'll be at a, he'll be at a trial in St. Louis. I'll be able to visit him quite a bit he's getting into uh it's a experimental trial that has been very successful with adults so we're praying for a victory and uh i'm you know he's he's my little buddy and any of these kids you know i i love this organization i love my kids i would honestly die for this organization that's how much that's how much passion i have for it mm-hmm. well it's it it comes through loud and clear in your voice and um if you're listening just tuning in this is too much good to quit I'm Shelly Till. He's Dave O'Hara, our guest. 
is Sam Kuhnert from Nubability Athletics. And it's, an again, a nonprofit organization to instruct, inspire, and encourage congenital and traumatic amputees of youth athletes to compete in mainstream sports. And Sam, we're going to get a lot more into your personal story in our last segment. But obviously, I mean, you're telling these stories and every story you're telling you have a personal experience with that same kind of pain and that same kind of struggle. And so um, if you can just kind of just highlight for the audience, if you will, um, really what your, the motivation behind you starting Nubability Athletics was. Absolutely. So I was born and raised without my left hand. Um, and I was born with a passion of sports, uh, with being from a small town, a lot of people, you know, didn't, didn't believe in me, didn't really, uh, think that I would be good enough to play at the next level with my peers. And that disbelief, uh, continued on all the way up, um, through little league into, uh, into middle school. I was cut for my sixth, seventh and eighth grade team. Every year I tried out despite competing and beating some of the kids in the summer leagues, um, and having, you know, better batting average, better pitches, everything, you know, and I, I didn't really understand uh, other than, um, you know, the, the coaches didn't have faith in me. And in fact, in sixth grade, you know, I was a three sport athlete, like I said, my entire life. Um, and uh, with with being a three sport athlete, I played basketball in sixth grade. And I mean, I had uh, instances of bullying and stuff for 14 years. Um, beginning when I was four years old at preschool, you know, it was more of the verbal bullying, but not because I was one of the bigger guys, you know, always. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, in sixth grade, I actually had an instance where after the game, I had a really good game. We we're playing a team and, uh, the entire team didn't shake my hand and I was in the middle of the, in the line, you know? Wow. So, I mean, I had, I've had a lot of, a lot of stuff that, you know, are trials and a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. hard, but, I look back at it and I'm really happy with that. I had to go through that because it really made me who I am. Um, you know, coming into my freshman year of high school, I finally made the baseball team. I was thinking, all right, this is it. My chance. I finally did it. And, uh, I think we probably played, uh, 25, 26 games, maybe 30. I don't don't really remember, but it was a lot. And uh, I pitched in three of them. And, uh, in those three games, the very first game we were playing against a team called Nashville and Nashville is a, you know, these big corn fed farm boys, mm-hmm. uh, hop, hopping off the bus with dip in their lip and tattoos, <laughs> and, you, know, you know, they just look like they're about to hit a ball a country mile. And, uh, my coach, you know, they had beaten us by anywhere from 12 to 15 runs. My coach goes, Hey, come here, why don't you go get warmed up? You're going to pitch today. And I was, you know, I was pumped because this was my opportunity. You know, this is my chance to, to prove people wrong. And I get to warming up, and I overhear the coach uh, talking to another coach. He's like, well, we might as well throw Cooner at him. We're going to lose anyway. And, you know, you could take that kind of thing two ways. You know, you could listen to it and let it hurt you, or you can take it and let it fuel you. And for me, it all, anytime people didn't believe in me, I used it as fuel to prove them wrong. Um, I always knew that, like I said, you know, the only limits were the ones that I placed on myself and, you know, people would tell me I had a disability growing up and I, you know, I never even believed in the term to me, a disability is a disabled mind. You know, if you have a disabled mind, you have a disability. Um, and that's the only disability in life is a disabled mind. Cause I mean, you see people who are quadriplegics, paraplegics, um, people, uh, with autism doing incredible, incredible feats throughout the that have uh, provided innovations that have changed many lives. But anyway, so I, I get up on that mound and ended up beating that team one to nothing. 
and mm. you know, still the coach didn't have a whole lot of faith in me, so he threw me at two more teams who were guaranteed to get beat by, and I beat them. Same thing my sophomore year, threw me against the teams who were guaranteed to get beat by, and I beat them. Coming in my junior year, I was a key relief, and uh, I was throwing the ball really hard, and uh, I got to thinking, you know, maybe my, my dreams of playing college baseball could become a reality. And so I went to my pitching coach and I said, hey, coach, um, I'm throwing the ball pretty hard. What do I need to do to get ready for college? You know, how can I how can I make a college roster? And he looked at me. He said, well, Sammy, you throw the ball hard, but there's not very many one handed baseball players in college baseball. He said, and I think these are your last four years. Hmm. And um, like golly. I said, you can take you can take that one of two ways. You can take it and let it crush you or mm-hmm. you can take it and let it fuel you. And for me, it was fuel. And so I went, you know, I was always, I always had that mentality that I was going to be the kid whenever the coach was giving the speech about the kid who's outworking you across town, I was going to be that kid. So when practice and stuff would let out, I'd go home and spend the next three hours after practice until dark until I couldn't see a ball um, throwing. And that's only if the light didn't work, you know, if the light outside the shed works and I was stacking cans up on the dumpster and throwing them until bedtime you know i was trying to get all my pitches down to where they were super under control and i was always willing to put in the effort in the weight room and really trying to get better in every aspect Um, and of course studying the game of baseball to learn the mentality of it and so coming into my uh coming into my senior year or the summer of my before my senior year i actually got a phone call because when you're a one-handed pitcher and in uh, small town Illinois and in, in the Midwest and Southern Illinois, you know, you're a pretty good little story for little news articles. Right. And so, they, you know, some news articles started coming out and a organization called Camp No Limits who works with kids with limb differences to teach them, you know, they have fun with them, teach them uh, everyday life skills that people take for granted while also doing some fun activities. And they wanted to try and incorporate some sports into their program. And so they reached out to me after reading an article and said, hey, we'd love for you to come. Well, you know, for me, being from a small town, I actually had the blessing of having a uh, a freshman football coach who had the same difference as me. Um, And then, you know, Jim Abbott. And those were the only two amputees I thought were on the planet. You know, I didn't know there was anybody else. I thought it was me and them. Um, And so when I heard this opportunity to work with kids, I was like, absolutely. And so I got there and, you know, the, the camp was great, but. I saw parents holding their kids back from participating in other sports out of fear of failure. And like I said, you can't be afraid to fail in life. You're going to fail. It's a hundred percent that you're going to fail and you're going to fail more times than you succeed. But if you learn from those failures, you'll grow and you'll succeed beyond measure. And I really got to see in these kids and I was like, man, I got to get these kids away from their parents, you know? And so I got them away from them and I was like, running some drills, teaching them how to throw and catch a baseball, how to, how to throw and catch a football, how to dribble a basketball between the legs, how to shoot, and just saw this raw God-given ability going to waste out of fear of failure. And you know, I actually wrestled with God that night. You know, I'm 17 years old at this time. I'm at a camp with my mom. I've got a baseball game the next morning. And I didn't sleep all that night because I wrestled with him because he's like telling me, I want you to start this foundation. I want you to start this camp for kids with limb differences and amputees, teach them to play mainstream organized sports. I want you to do this. And I'm like, now I'm 17. What can I do? How can I make an impact? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I woke up the next day and got into the got into the car with my mom, running on probably two hours of sleep, <laughs> get in the car, and we're driving back home from Chesterfield, Missouri. And I 
leaned over and said, Mom, I want to start a camp for kids with limb differences and amputees, teach them to play mainstream sports, and I want to have coaches who have played at the highest level of mainstream sports who are accomplished limb different athletes to teach them so they have no excuse and so they have a mentor who looks like them who can push them, not cobble them, push them. And I'm pretty sure my mom's jaw dropped one because I was a student <laughs> degrees type student. You know, I was just in school to play games, to play sports. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was what I thought. I thought, you know, I have to go to school to play sports. I have to go to school to play sports. And that was, that was it. That was my mentality at that time. But whenever I saw that, you know, and she's like, yeah, let's go at it. So we started making a website and doing social media first and, you know, started connecting with people. And I started reaching out to some coaches and stuff that, uh, I thought could be potential coaches for another ability. And then comes, uh, you know, my senior year, my senior baseball season, I have a really good season. Um, the fall before I actually had a college call me and go on a visit and it went amazing. I really love the school. Uh, the coach sat me down. I got to sit down with the head coach, which, you know, if you tour a college and the head coach sits you down, you think, you know, you're getting an offer. Um, and so I sit down with the coach and he told me, Sammy, you're the type of leader we look for in a program but we just don't know if you're physically capable of playing at this level. We're going to continue to watch you, but that's all we can promise for now. And, you know, at the time I was thinking in my head, man, you brought me all this way for nothing, you know, but I was like, okay, coach, I'll see you in the spring. You know, that's, that's kind of what my mentality was. Sure. I'll see you in the spring. I didn't say it out loud to him. I said, thank you, sir, for the opportunity. And I, you know, I hope to see you this spring, but in my head, I'm like, I'll see you this spring and I'll be on this roster. And come springtime, I'm throwing really well. They call, they say, hey, you ready to sign yet? I said, absolutely. And so they're like, okay, we want you to do a signing photo with your local newspaper. You need to pick who you want in your signing photo. So I'm like, oh, absolutely, my parents. You know, they, they've they been supporting me. They pushed me. My dad was the type of dad that uh, threw me off the diving board when I was three or four years old into the deep end and said, sink or swim. You know, mm-hmm. he, he always pushed me, threw me, <laughs> pushed me down a hill on my bike, said turn or crash, you know, I mean. And, I, and I'm really thankful for that because he, he instilled that grit in me at an early age. Um, but anyways, uh, I was like, okay, mom, dad, my guidance counselor who helped me out through, uh, through some times with bullying, my head coach because he was, he was great. And, you know, I need one more person in this picture. How about that pitching coach? You told me I would never play. Wow, good for you. <laughs> so, I love it. So I put him in that picture. And, you know, I had a, I had a great – senior year it comes into early my freshman year and I start losing sight of what's important um I started becoming a selfish person and really living for myself instead of for others you know I still had the mission of nobility in my mind but it wasn't in my heart let's drop right there if we can real quick Sam hold it right there and then we'll come back with another segment because I'm going to follow up with you Shelly will bring us uh, back from break and then I'll have a you can finish that thought then I have a question for you in reference to um, um, Jim Abbott Tom Dempsey uh, Shaquem Griffin and and all these uh, other instances I want to get into with you as well as your background and unfortunately we're we have a lot of time but yet the time goes so quickly so let's let's cut right there for this segment and we'll come back with more Sam Coonert, yeah, with nubability.org and again via Twitter at Sam Coonert, S A M K U H N E R T. She's Shelly Till. I'm Dave O'Hara. This is too much grit to quit. Shelly, we've got a walk and talk and billboard here. And Sam, how many times has he mentioned grit and no quit so far in this interview? So, Sam, you're, you're a true company man. We love it. So, hey, back with more <laughs> of too much grit to quit in just a few moments. Welcome back to Too Much Grit to Quit. I am Shelley Till alongside Dave O'Hara, and our guest today is Sam Coonert, founder of Nubability Athletics. And 
Sam, before we went to the break, you were uh, telling us about, took us up to the point where you were able to sign uh, to play college baseball to achieve one of the dreams that you had. And, uh, you know, you, your entire upbringing was people telling you what you couldn't do. But I know that you had two parents that told you everything that you could do. And uh, at least a mom, if not both parents, who really instilled faith in you. And I, I was watching a video um, of you where you were kind of giving your testimony and said that you were bullied as a young child because of of um, your limb challenge and that you were teased and your mom, you would go home and you would cry and your mom would read scripture to you. And I know that your faith was important to you, but there was a point in time once you got to college where that kind of fell by the wayside. And why don't you take us through that challenging time for you and how you got through that and how that really helped you strengthen your passion for what you're doing today? Yes, ma'am. So like I said, you know, when I got into college, you know, my I started uh, losing sight of what's important and started becoming selfish and thinking, you know, everything was me. And I had a great fall season with my baseball team. <clears throat> I was in the best shape of my life. Uh, you know, my grandpa actually took took me to game six of the World Series to watch my favorite team uh, play. You know, everything that possibly could be going right in my life was going right. But it still kind of felt like, you know, something was missing. And then uh, the day after game six of the World Series, I went back in the city for game seven. And the next day I woke up in my dorm room with 103 fever and uh, just these shakes and this nausea that I couldn't shake. So I did what any college kid would do. I called my mom. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, Mom, I'm not feeling very good. Something's not right. You know, she's like, what's your symptoms? I said, I'm running 103 degree fever. You know, I got nausea. I've been vomiting a little bit. She's like, all right, I'm on my way to come get you. And so she drove the hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes to my school, picked me up, took me home. I get home. I spend the night. I start feeling a little bit better the next day. And I'm like, all right, I'll go back to school tomorrow, you know. Uh, and uh, so I went, you know, I, I ate, had a good day that day, woke up the next day, and I couldn't pick myself up off the couch. Uh, here I was, 6'5", 225 pounds, in the best shape of my life, you know, probably anywhere around a 7 to 8% body fat. You know, I was, I was just really, really in shape, and I couldn't pick myself up. I couldn't lift my head off the couch. And so my dad comes downstairs, he picks me up, he carries me uh, dead weight up to a, up to the car, drives me 30 minutes to the hospital in Carbondale, Illinois. Uh, when I get there, when they get me in the emergency room, they start hooking me up to IVs. And they're like, hey, we got to hospitalize this kid immediately. He's got a dangerously enlarged liver and spleen. And so immediately everything's going, you know, it's, it's like my whole world's flipped upside down. And so they put me in a hospital room and I spent uh, – six days in this hospital room uh, before they, you know, before they do a lymph node biopsy on, on uh, day six. And uh, then on day seven, um, I was there for a little bit and then they sent me off into St. Louis university hospital because they couldn't figure out what was going on with me. I get to St. Louis university hospital um, by, by ambulance. And this is after a week of running 106 degree fevers, having the most violent shakes I've ever had. It literally felt like somebody was standing over top of me with their hands on my shoulders, just shaking the life out of me and, uh, losing 20 pounds. So they send me to SLU. I get up to SLU. I get into my hospital room and my mom's phone rings. It's the doctor from Carbondale. She answers it and she hits her knees crying. 
And then she whispered something to my dad, and my dad is a farm boy. You know, he's he's a tough farmer. He taught me to be a stone growing up. You know, never show emotion, never show um, anybody was taking your joy. And when he hit his knees crying, I knew something bad was on the other end of that line. Hmm. And so it was called acute multicentric multilymphatic Castleman's disease. It's not cancer, but only two people in the U.S. are diagnosed with it each year. At that time, in 2011, and uh, it had a fatality rate like almost 100 percent and it was uh you know once you're diagnosed you had a few weeks to a few months to live Mm. um and so my entire world was just like drop you know here i was living my dream playing college baseball doing everything and now i'm told that my life is over and i'm never going to get to be an uncle i'm never going to get to see what happens with nevability i'm never going to get to throw my first college debut pitch you know i'm never going to get to do any of this and I really got to thinking, you know, how I was living my life at that time and realized I wasn't living the best life. I wasn't living a life for God. I, was, I wasn't I was living a life for others. I was living a life for me. And um, I realized that I had hurt a lot of people and, and done a lot of things that I had regretted. And so I knew I had to do something to fix it. And so I started, so I was really weak. I couldn't really talk at the time. So I grabbed my phone and just started texting every person who I ever thought I'd done wrong to. And uh, just asking for forgiveness, asking them to, you know, please forgive me, tell them how sorry I was and everything. And this is before people even know that, you know, I'm dying, you know. And so so I was just really probably really random for them to get that. But all of them were so super responsive and and welcoming with it. And then I was laying in the hospital bed the next night and I was by myself. Mom and dad had finally left the room. And for the first time in a long time, I talked to God. And I told him, I was like, God, I know I haven't lived the best life for you. I, I know I haven't been doing everything the right way. Um, I, kn- I know that there's a lot of mistakes that I've made. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for this life you've given me. I want to thank you for my family. I want to thank you for all the people you've put in my path for every opportunity you've given me because I've been able to live an amazing life. And if it's my time to go, I understand and I'll go. Um but if you give me a second chance, I promise to live for you and live to serve others for the rest of my life. So then well, that's the when, day. yeah, you go ahead. I'm sorry. <clears throat> and well, the next day I woke up and my numbers were terrible and <clears throat> I was put on a corporate prayer list, which is where people pray mm-hmm. multiple churches at the same time. And they all lifted me up in prayer. And there was like 30 different churches across, across the world. And uh, I woke up the very next day normal. Wow. So then that's wow. <laughs> a medical, exactly. yeah, medical miracle. You know, it, it's funny. I was, you know, <laughs> as, as unfortunate as you were to get one and two people in the whole country getting that disease. Now, you know, very few survivors, as you mentioned, and the next day you made that commitment to God and that happens. So is that when the infancy or that's when you really took the, took the ball then metaphorically speaking and pun intended, that's when you took the ball and decided to run with nubability, play, uh, finish out your college career playing baseball or then take us through uh, up to today. What is that? What got, got everything rolling for you, Sam? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the moment, was the moment. I, knew, I knew that God had a, had a purpose for my life, a, a greater purpose. And so I knew that it had to been something to do with nubability since it was his idea. And uh, so I reached out to seven other coaches or six other coaches who, um, you know, I had found via social media and I, you know, I reached out to him and said, Hey, this is my idea for nubability. It's a, it's a camp to push these kids to give them no excuses to show them they're created perfectly. 
would you like to be a part of this? And they said, you know, they all joined it. Absolutely. And so we had seven coaches and 19 kids at my first camp in 2012 on Greenville college's campus. Wow. And hmm. I knew at that point, man, this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, fast forward to today, Nub Abilities in seven different states. <laughs> um, our, our summer camp has grown. We, I moved everything back to my hometown. Whenever I left Greenville, I moved everything back to my hometown. We have 185 kids from 45 states and five other countries come to my hometown of 6,500 people this past <laughs> year for, for uh, our summer camp. You know, so I, I mean, yeah. That's incredible. That really that is. is. Absolutely incredible. And I got to say, Sam, you know, when you mentioned something earlier, and again, it's too much grit to quit. He is Sam Coonert, uh, Shelly Till, my friend and co-host. I'm Dave O'Hara. And uh, Sam, I, I've got a dovetail. When you talk about um, a platform is where I really want to drive at this. And you caught really caught my attention the first uh, segment we had with you, segment two of this show, but our previous segment with you, because I was going to ask you about, you know, famous people to bring notoriety and gosh, for lack of a better term, or at least knowledge, because uh, you said yourself, gosh, I thought it was myself uh, and my coach and Jim Abbott were the only people in the world who uh, had, you know, either suffered or had this uh, limitation or handicap, as you said, not really a handicap, a physical limitation. And all of a sudden, you take a look, when Shelly and I were kids, Tom Dempsey was a, uh, although it was a club foot, he had the record for the longest field goal in the NFL for over 40 plus years at 63 yards. And then you mentioned Jim Abbott, and now we go fast forward to today, uh, Jim Amrit was, was a great major league pitcher, as you mentioned, and pitched at the University of Michigan, pitched to the Olympics for the, for America, one-handed, left-handed pitcher. But you take a look at what happened to Shaquem Griffin uh, in his youth, and his mom ended up, he had a deformed hand and ended up having it amputated. She didn't want him to play football while his twin brother uh, Shaquille Griffin's playing, so then he leaves Central Florida, uh, Shaquem does, or Shaquille does, excuse me, he, they're, the, I, they're twins, but... Obviously, Shaquem redshirted a year. So I have knew someone who knew Scott Frost when he was the head coach at Central Florida before he went to Nebraska. And everything you're saying about yourself and your nubability organization is everything I've heard firsthand from someone else or secondhand to me about Shaquem Griffin. So do you use those type of notoriety people, celebrities, sports stars with those. And then you and I talked about a former Miss Iowa and she was a Miss America contestant from Southeast Iowa, uh, Nikki Kelly, and also just a recent high school graduate who was an athlete of Fort Madison, Iowa and Southeast Iowa, uh, Ali Schmidt. Do you give our kids still like you thinking there's nobody else in the world like me, or you do you bring those examples up for them? And like with your camp in Seattle now upcoming. Man, what we, what we provide for our kids is a mentor who looks just like them. So our coaching Perfect. staff has grown to over 60 accomplished some different athletes as their coaches. Mm. And so we give them those guys. But then Shaquem Griffin has been an amazing supporter of Nobility. Beautiful. He sent, he sent our kids the last two years, he sent them a pump-up video to pump them up before they go out for our <laughs> camp competitions. And uh -huh. And he actually, last year, we had our very first Seattle camp. We have our second one coming up Labor Day weekend in Seattle as well. Um, but he waited an hour after the pre last preseason game and stood, like, waited an hour with us on the field, talking to our kids, Gosh. hanging out with them. You know, he could have gone home. He, he started that game. He was tired, but he really showed his passion for the kids and his passion to change lives. 
just by what he did there. And our our kid our kids gave him a blanket that they all signed with telling him how how amazing he was and how they looked up to him and how much of a hero he was. The NFL Network covered it. You might have seen that one go viral mm-hmm. too a while back. That was when uh, he met with the group of kids on the football field there after the game and. You know, he's been a stand-up individual, and the same thing with Jim Abbott. Jim Abbott sent that video for for Will. These guys are guys who are not using their platform to help themselves. They're using their platform to serve others. Well, like you, Sam. Like you, Sam. Like you. They're very much like you, Sam. They use their platform for others, not themselves. I I appreciate that. And, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing I try to get across to people is that you don't have to be in their position to impact lives. You know, I'm a, I'm a 26 year old who lives at his, lives at home with his parents still until he gets married and, and, and to the most beautiful girl I've ever met. Uh, All right. And, and I work out of an office in a small town of 6,500 people, but I'm able to impact thousands of lives just because I'm letting God use me. You know, I I give everything to God. And that's why I try to tell people, if you let God use you, he'll use you. doesn't matter if you have a a social media reach of a million followers or a a social reach of 20 followers, he'll use you and you'll change more lives than you could ever expect. Amen, Sam. I'm just so impressed by your faithfulness, uh, your, just the things that you have overcome and we haven't even scratched the surface. There was a lot more uh, to your story um, in terms of it's just kind of been one adversity after another from a very young age for you. And and so impressed at your ability to overcome that, to use your faith, to believe. Uh, I think so many times and, and a big reason that we do this podcast is to share the unsugar-coated stories that people go through because I think a lot of times people see celebrities or uh, professional athletes or you know people who are famous and they think oh they just had it easy you know they were just lucky they they won the, the 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 good luck lottery and they don't realize the adversities and the trials and the tribulations that you go through to get to where you want to be and I had a coach near and dear to me who always told me if it was easy everybody would be doing it (laughs) and I think I think your story is is a classic example that it wasn't easy but because you have your faith because you had the support of your family your parents you were able to develop that growth mindset and that ability to get through those types of adversities and so I know you you have camps and you do amazing things for these uh, young girls and boys worldwide now. I think it's incredible. I want to know where um, where is this going for you? What are you? What is your vision? What are you hoping to? How are you hoping to expand and grow Nubability Athletics? What's the impact that you want to make? Serve as same as the promise I made to God. Serve as many people as I can with whatever life He gave me, no matter where that's at, whether that's in. Uh, Australia, uh, you know, all the way across the all all the way across the globe, all the way through. You know, I want to I want to serve as many people as possible. I want to get into those places where um, kids are sh- are shunned and seen as cursed for being born different, and get in there and try and change cultures. Um, that's 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 my ultimate mission, and we're already in in, in the process of working on that. 
uh, we want to do like a mission trip and another ability camp for these kids. And then um, after I coach them for, you know, maybe a week or two, have them go out and compete against the, the locals, have them go out and compete against the kids who, you know, have never seen a different kid and get that respect. Because once you earn that respect, you know, I'll never forget when I pitched in the Dominican Republic, they stormed the field after I pitched. I thought I was about to get mugged or something. <laughs> they ripped my jersey off and everything, and they were asking for my autograph and pictures because they had never seen a limb different athlete. And so because they weren't allowed to participate in, mm-hmm. in sports. And so that's my goal. I want to give those kids that chance to be a player, to be an athlete, not a limb different athlete, but to be an athlete. Sam, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, Shelley, we've got about two minutes left, and so we've got to say our goodbyes now. But I would say this to you, Sam, on a personal note. You mentioned your wife, and you you mentioned your parents, and you mentioned about being an uncle, or you said, gosh, am I going to die and never be able to have, you know, uh, be an uncle? So is, will your wife, I, I, and I, I know the answer to these questions, but I want the listeners to hear this. Um, is the family going to continue to be involved and not just being an uncle, but I presume you want to be a father someday. And so is this going to be a family, continue to be a family endeavor with everybody involved in your world as we wrap up here in a couple minutes? Absolutely. Well, let me tell you this, though. The entire Nobility coaching team, if any of them are listening, they're family. Yeah. And so if, if I were to die today, I know that somebody in my Nobility family or my family is going to pick up the reins and keep going. There's too much, too much good, too much that God has done to, to not let it happen. Yeah, and you you talk about grit, and you know Shelly and I have talked about this on the air and off the air with you. You've mentioned grit about ten different times, and and <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, just no better of a of a role model for grit, but for your own campers. And I love that you pair them up with the kids, each one. And we do have just enough time in these last two minutes. Shelly's got a a show capper that we we have her ask as she asks each week, and uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't give you the opportunity to answer this question. So buckle up, Sam. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) well i i'm guessing you have several examples but we always like to ask our guests you've mentioned the word grit you have your own definition of the word grit and i'm guessing that when you hear the word grit somebody or a few people probably come to mind for you but if you could pick one who would it be and if i had to pick one i would say pete gray when i was in uh, sixth grade my uh my coach gave me a video while I was ready to quit baseball because everybody was cut, you know, when I was cut. And I watched this movie called A Winner Never Quits, the Pete Gray story. And I watched this man who was an amputee, refused to quit. And he was actually the very first major league baseball mm-hmm. player, played for the St. Louis Browns. And that video, you know, reinstilled the, what grit is. And to see him go out there and swing with one arm and and catch and throw and do push-ups and everything like that. You know, it just reinstilled, okay, I can do this. That is amazing because, as you mentioned his name many times tonight already, uh, Sam, that was also a role model and someone Jim, uh, Jim, Jim Abbott had mentioned in his past as well. Yes, sir. I didn't know if you knew that, Sam, but yeah, yeah, there you go. Hey, I just real quick, I just want you to put out there, how can people help? What do you need? How can, how can people get on board and help you with this mission? So if you go on our website, www.nobility.org, we have a Connect with Nobility form. You can fill that out and find out ways to volunteer or help. 
but the big thing is, you know, we're just out here to serve the kids. We're out here to find the kids. We want to find as many kids as we can to serve. So share it. Share our social media. Let let people know that we're out there so that we can find these kids to serve. Because when we serve one of these kids, they're serving thousands throughout their lives. Well stated, as always, throughout. And again, via Twitter, uh, Sam just gave you the uh, .org. Uh, but I'll give you the uh, Twitter again. It's at Sam Coonert. S-A-M-K-U-H-N-E-R-T or at Nubability at N-U-B-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y. And uh, as all, as uh, Sam had mentioned and Shelly and I have all talked about, please help. Uh, and, and if for nothing else, Google it or go to the site, go to the the um, the uh, YouTube channel, Motivation Plenty. And if, that, if this hasn't motivated you enough to want to help and see more and listen to more, then please click on it and, and you'll see all the motivation you ever need. So for Sam Cooner, and Shelly Till. I'm Dave O'Hara. Too much great to quit. Fam, Sam, thank you so very much. What an inspiration. What a story. And man, I'll tell you, truly, and I know this expression may be overused, but in your case, it's not truly doing God's work. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. And thank you, Shelly. I appreciate y'all having me. Thanks for being here. It is our pleasure. So again, for Sam Coonert and Shelly Till, I'm Dave O'Hara and Too Much Grit to Quit. That's all from us. Thanks to all of you. This is Too Much Grit to Quit. Sports personalities Shelly Till and Dave O'Hara bring you non-sugar-coated stories of the famous, not-so-famous, and everyday hometown heroes who have overcome adversity and incredible challenges to achieve success. Too Much Grit to Quit. Discover the key to unlock the chains that keep you from achieving your dreams. Please subscribe, like, share, and download today.